0: Hello, everyone! Welcome back to the Construction Approach to Animal Welfare and Training Podcast. We are your host, I am Masa.
1: Hi, everybody, and I'm Sean.
0: We hope that you're cuddled up with your animal companions and ready for this exciting episode. Before we begin, we have a couple announcements. This July, we will be hosting the second annual Calc Conference. This international five-day virtual conference will feature two amazing keynote speakers, Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz and Dr. T.V. Joe Lane. In these five days, thought-provoking presentations covering the philosophy of constructional approach, the updated constructional aggression treatment procedure, and applications of constructional fiction will be delivered along with extensive Q&A and panel discussion. The registration for the conference will open on April 29th at 7 p.m. in Eastern Standard Time. For those of you who cannot attend the conference, we have a video on demand options available. So please visit our website, calt.com, for more information. Secondly, we open the registration for a basic group class dedicated to constructional affection. We still have a few spots available. And these group classes are unlike any other being that you will actually learn how to build constructional training programs. The group class will start on May 22nd. So if you are interested in joining us, please visit our website or Facebook page. We will put the link to the group class in the description below. Lastly, we want to shout out to our Patrons, Gwen, Chase and Jeff. Thank you so much for your generous support. Your generous support ensures that we are able to continue bringing you all the content that you enjoy. And if you're enjoying our content, you can become one of our Patreons to support our show. You can visit patreon.com forward slash C-A-A-W-T for more information about the exclusive benefits of becoming our Patreons. In today's episode we will be talking about assessment and data collection.
1: So Masa and I have been doing uh, group classes now for a couple of months, and these have been a whole lot of fun.
0: Yeah, so much fun.
1: And, uh, and Masa, you know, so far out of all of the classes that we've given, which one do you think we've probably gotten, you know, the most amount of feedback and, and responses from?
0: The one on assessment and data collection. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: right. <laughs> and, um, and, and you know, when talking about this with the folks in our group class, you know, we really wanted to stress that, you know, we collect data on things that are important to us. We track data related to our health, our finances, and even educational data. And, and we use this not only to know, you know, how things are going, but also to guide decisions related to these things, you know, in the future. And, um, you know, for those of you out there that are maybe new, um, I've said this a hundred times probably now <laughs> on the show, but, um, you know, I used to be a teacher for several years and um, I see a lot of parallels between, you know, my old job as a teacher and and actually the job that I did before teaching and after, which is, you know, animal training. Um, you know, there's a lot of parallels there and One interesting thing about education is that, you know, grades have not always been required in schools, you know, for teachers to assign. And um, however, you know, an interesting thing is that without those grades, you know, teachers were left without the necessary data that could really help them direct how they were providing their attention to meet specific students' needs. And just like with our students, um, we can actually take data on our dog's performances To not only know how things are going, but to also help inform our future decisions, you know, regarding training. And without that data, it really leaves us, you know, just relying on our gut feelings, you know, to make decisions. And, you know, sometimes our gut feelings might be accurate, but other times they are maybe not. And if we're dealing with a situation that we really need to help get resolved quickly, you know, not using data and going by our gut feelings can really leave our animals, you know, stuck in a bad situation for longer than they really need to be. And, and so taking this approach, you know, helps us to, you know, really have that information that we can make really good decisions based on in the future and also establishes us as real science-based trainers that make decisions based on data. And so now really the question is, how do we do it? So, Masa, before we really jump into this, um, you know, our, our episodes, we we try and keep these things, you know, in the neighborhood of 20 minutes. <laughs> um, I, I know that our last two episodes, we provided everyone an, an extra special treat, you know, with those 40-minute to near-hour-long yeah. episodes yeah. with Carol and Morgan, but we just thought that those interviews were just really too beautiful to kind of break up in the middle yeah. and you know, suck up a couple of extra months worth of episodes because we also have a lot of other interesting things that we're wanting to bring, you know, to you guys down the road. But, um, you know, so we try and keep these kind of short and, and we really also probably couldn't even provide a really good, mm. you know, assessment and data collection podcast episode in, in under 40 minutes to an hour anyway. So um, I want to talk about this within the framework of the constructional approach and the four questions that that guide it. Um, But to help everyone out there that might be new to this, if you're looking for more information about this process, um, please check out our first episode on the constructional approach that details what it is, because it it is more than just, you know, shaping a behavior. Um, There's actually some other things in the constructional approach related to making sure that we're fulfilling our animals' actual needs and meeting critical consequences And even the way that we go about structuring our training programs that make them constructional. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, please go back and reference that if you haven't heard that episode before. Or if you like, you know, get to our website and and sign up for our group classes where you really get deep into this for a couple of weeks. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, the first question in the constructional approach is to ask, where are we now? And there we're really just looking to observe our, you know, our learners. And in this case, I'm sure for everybody, it's going to be dogs. But observe our dogs and see what it is that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we want to make sure that we're, that we're identifying the situation that, you know, requires training.
0: That's right. Yeah, we want to know what behavior that we call undesirable behavior that the dog is doing, but also what desirable behavior that the animals are doing. So that we know what are their current repertoire behavior repertoire
1: yeah yeah that's right and related to this point too is is an assessment um you know in our group class we we had taught you know um we we actually go through constructional affection and and we even um you know out of demand by everybody in there (laughs) we we (laughs) we actually ended up doing like a separate constructional aggression treatment group class along with it and everyone there was was you know, eager to apply what they had learned. Yeah. We had equipped them with, uh, you know, ways to take data and look at things and set things up, and they were eager to go out there and, and find a dog to use constructional aggression treatment with. And, you know, as, as much as we enjoy that enthusiastic attitude, we had to make sure that we were slowing everybody down. That's <laughs> right. Um, although constructional aggression treatment is a wonderful program, um, it is a negative reinforcement procedure, and we recommend that we only use that procedure when we have identified an actual negative reinforcement contingency. Yeah. Um. You know, if there's a dog that really is actually behaving in a way that looks kind of nasty.
0: Like barking, growling, yeah. and lunging. And
1: exactly. Jumping. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes they might actually be looking you know, topographically, you know, looking on the surface, like it's, you know, anger and something awful and aggression for some dogs, you know, they've learned some really unusual ways to get attention from people. That's right. And so if the dog is actually wanting attention from us, we don't want to torture the poor guy by constantly walking away when they're getting calm. We're actually doing the exact opposite thing that is really best, you know, for our dog in this case. And so we really push to take the moment to do an assessment. And I understand a lot of the positioning behind this when, you know, us as trainers hear that. um, You know, um, I I actually, you know, I I learned I, I was a dog trainer before I ever went back to college and spent several years working with a trainer. And when I first came into the behavior analytic program and I was hearing about data collection and assessment, um, I kind of felt like, you know, that was good maybe for some situations mm-hmm. or some trainers, but, you know, I was expert enough that, <laughs> you know, I could I could see, you know, Through what was going eyes. on.
0: your eyes, yeah, right? okay.
1: And, and that gets reinforced because a lot of times you're right. Yeah. You know, a lot of times what it appears is, is actually, you know, right. But oftentimes it's not. And oftentimes if we're not taking the data, we can miss other things that are really important and related to the situation. And the other thing is, you know, as a trainer, you know, when I heard, you know, go do an assessment, I, I think I was actually showing Jesus a video of, <laughs> of a dog that I was working with, and he was like, well, show me the assessment. And I don't have an assessment. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you, you know, you, it, it, you don't do them, I think, you're um, at least the reason why I was kind of, you know, reluctant to do it, at least in my practice, was because it it takes time Mm. was the way I was thinking about Uh it. You know, I'm, I'm going out there for, you know, four or or six visits, however long my program is at the time. And, and I didn't want to spend a week of it, Mm. you know, dedicated to assessments and planning. I thought that my customers were going to hate it Mm. and, and, you know, and that I just might not even need it in the first place. But one thing that, you know Chase and Morgan and, and Lucero and I, we we learned quickly when we were applying our our work in our animal shelters, is that assessments don't have to take a long time, and you can do them really quickly, and you can do them using a wide variety of context and stimuli, and get them done in a matter of seconds. Mm.
0: So how how does how does that assessment look like when you guys are doing that work in shelter?
1: Yeah, the uh, assessments that we were doing in the shelter were really fast and. I actually, you know, since then have started doing this same thing with every animal mm. that I actually encounter. And, um, you know, in the animal shelter, we would just walk up to the door, you know, the where the enclosure is. Animal would be on the, or the dog would be on the other side of it. <clears throat> and I would just walk right up to it as if I were going to open up the latch and start loving them up and and we would do that intentionally because we actually want to have our behavior signaling to the dog that there is some interaction there's some reinforcement available here so um you know i i like to emphasize that against you know, the idea of really controlling yourself. Yeah,
0: like, like staring at the dog or not staring at the dog. Exactly. Or like move really slow, a little creepy looking. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Or like
0: a robot.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we want to avoid those things because, you know, people don't normally approach... You know, dogs like that, and dogs probably aren't used to having people approach in that yeah. manner. And so, if we want to get a good idea of you know their interactions and the way they're going to respond, I, I I just like the idea of doing it in a more normal looking fashion. And so, we would just walk right on up to the enclosure at a normal speed, regardless of what the dogs doing at the time. And um, as when as we would get to the front, we would extend our hand out and offer it you know, maybe a couple of inches in front of the fence or in front of the, the, the closing, the door that's there, and just leave our hand there for a few seconds. And we would watch what the dog does. And then we would, you know, if the dog walks up and is, you know, sniffing and licking and stuffing, and crying to, you know, have you pet him, well, you know, it's oh, a good baby, and walk away. But if they ignore us or if they start growling or anything like that or barking at us, we'll just, you know, go ahead and walk right away. And so that whole process... You know, walking up, putting your hand there and walking away, you know, five, ten seconds at most. And we would sometimes in the animal shelter when we actually, um, this this kind of a temperament assessment was actually just incorporated in general at this animal shelter that I'm, you know, thinking about right now. We would repeat this process and we would do it, you know, first empty-handed, just walk up off our hand. Next time we would do it, we would be holding a leash other times we would come up with a food bowl. Sometimes we'd come up with another dog. And that way on the assessment sheet that would be on the kennel card for everybody to see, you would actually see the dog's behavior and exactly what they did and exactly what kinds of context. So the dog is fine in every context except for when you approach with another dog on leash. And that lets us know And it's really good information for a future adopter or for our volunteers and staff people that are looking to provide training to really help that dog. Because now they can see, oh, there's a context right there that I can work on that would be great for this dog.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you did like, like one context or one, let's say, first you come up with your empty hand and then next you don't repeat that same thing. But next you come with the leash. Next you come with the football. So you are not repeating the same process, right?
1: Um, sometimes we did. Um, it, 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 it actually depended. Sometimes if we didn't, you know, if we weren't sure if the dog was like, you know, maybe they were actually sitting in the back, like, you know, scratching their head the whole uh, time that we I were see. up or eating yeah. their food. You know, it, sometimes we would come back up. But yeah, generally we would just do it once and see what was going on. Um, but uh, at least in that moment, we would never rely on one data point. Just in general, one data point to tell us this dog is good with people with nothing in their hands. We would approach right there and walk away and go do other things, maybe assess a few other dogs and then come back later and do it again. And um, I think Morgan actually talked about this really good in our episode when we had her on where she talked about sometimes the dogs change a little bit as, you know, they've been in the shelter a little bit longer. And so we want to keep that in mind too. Are we doing our assessment right after the dog's been in or has the dog had some time to adjust? We want to think about those things and and how we're doing setting up our assessment. But um, you know, I did mention a minute ago that, you know, I didn't just do this in the shelter that way. I would do it with every animal that I encounter. And and I'm serious, I do this when I've, you know, been around birds, goats, horses, dogs, um, even exotic species of animals that I was working with in outreach programs and hanging out at different zoos with. But um, I would do the same thing. And even with house dogs, you know, when I'm going over to a friend's house, I, I don't chase the dog down, you know, or, or try and bribe him to me with, you know, food or anything like that. I'll just go into the home and I'll offer my hand, you know, down at my side and see if the dog walks up to me. And if they walk up and start sniffing and licking my hand, I'll start Talking to them and scratching them a little bit on the cheeks. Hey, buddy, how you doing, sweetie? And start talking to them. But if they don't come to me, I don't. I, I just let the dog be. Yeah, that's a clear
0: information from them.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I think that this is also really good advice to give to people that might have a new animal companion with them right now, and maybe the dog's a little bit shy. Um, let them be shy. That's okay. Um, you know, give them a little bit of time and allow them to approach on their own. Um, unless they're actually showing, you know, some really big fear or aggression, there might be some other things that we need to talk about. But sometimes dogs just need to kind of get used to you a little bit and, and get to learn that there's a reinforcer available. And so I'll just kind of sit there at my friend's houses and offer my hand if the dog is, you know, staying away, it's fine. I'll wait till maybe they come sniffing me a little bit. And I might just kind of open my hand slowly and let them know it's there for them. And see what they do and let them kind of close that distance on their own. But um, you know, one other point that's related to this that I wanted to make sure that we touch base on is the data collection side of it. And I mentioned it a second ago talking about taking data on the context in the animal shelter. But um, you know, when we're doing these assessments, when we're walking up and we're offering our hands and seeing how these different animals are responding, we want to make sure that we're keeping a good eye out on what behaviors are occurring because these can give us some really good indicators of things that we want to collect data on. So we might see the dog doing barking and jumping. We might see some lunging. um, But we also might see some good behaviors, some sniffing. We might see them offering some sits here and there. Or those just might be the desirable behaviors that we might want to be shaping towards, and so we want to make sure that we have those ready to take data on. And um, this was one of the areas, you know, working in our group class where I think we had the most fun. Yeah. <laughs> and Moss um, and I both, um, we we had the awesome pleasure of being able to be taught a handful of classes at UNT by Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. And um, anyone who who's maybe not super familiar with Jesus within the field of behavior analysis, He's really like the master of data,
0: yeah, he is <laughs> absolutely
1: <laughs> um, I don't think anyone out there is probably as well trained as he is at making really descriptive definitions, making sure that we're collecting the right kind of data that we're mapping it the right ways i I, I can't begin to express how like lucky I really was to have him teach both my undergraduate and master's level class, yeah. in data collection and measurement, but um. One funny thing about that class um, is when he's introducing the idea of making your behavior definitions, he really stresses that they need to be clear, that they need to be observable, things that someone can sit down and say, oh, one has just happened. Mm -hmm. Oh, another one has just happened. Because oftentimes we'll say things like, you know, growling, you know, and then set our definition as like, you know, the dog is growling. Yeah, or
0: the dog (laughs) makes some noise.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and although to us, we're really clear and, and, and we might really know what we think of and what we mean by growling in this instance, but leaving our definitions like that really leaves them open to interpretation to other people and, and can often even make the target that we're really looking for at the end harder to get if our definitions aren't clear. And a funny way that, um, that Dr. Rosales Ruiz used to demonstrate this is he, uh, he said, you all know what playing is, right? and everyone in the class is like, yeah, I know what it is to play. He says, okay, good. I've got this video of my daughter playing with some toys. He passes out a data sheet. He says, I'd like everyone in here to, to count how many instances of playing that you see going on in the video. And I think it's like a three or four minute video. And At the end of it, like, just about everybody in the room had a different number. (laughs) And I think the ranges were everything from, like, 12 instances (laughs) to, like, 42 instances. Wow,
0: what a range. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it it was pretty crazy because everybody had a different idea of what it meant to play. That's right. And so that's uh, something that we got to be careful of and something that we did with our group class attendees. We actually showed a short video of... Um, of Morgan actually That's doing right. some temperament <laughs> assessments. Um, actually, not even a temperament assessment. They were just baselines for a study that we had done together. And in the video, there's a dog jumping on her. And we had the whole class count and collect data on the instances of jumping. And I think that doing that actually really helped them to see the value and making sure that you had a good definition and that you also, you know, actually took data on it. Because you can see after taking data across maybe three different sessions, you can really get a good idea of how the pattern's going. And in the video that we shared, um, we even changed the conditions where Morgan actually starts doing constructional affection with the dog. And you see the jumping like instantly in that first session gets like cut in less than half. Yeah. Where the dog goes from like doing like seven or eight jumps to doing like three or four in that very next one. And you can see whenever you go back to the original baseline condition, the jumping is like right back up at those same rates that it was previously. And so it's just eye-opening being able to actually see that visual analysis on paper right there in front of you. So once we have, um, you know, done our assessment and we've set our behavioral definitions and we started, you know, collecting our data, uh, a funny thing starts to happen to where, you know, every three you know, trials that you do, you are actually doing like an assessment, basically right there, every three trials, you have a new assessment that you've done. And that allows you to kind of look down at things and realize, oh, wow, this is going in the direction that I want, or this isn't really responding, you know, the way that I expected that it would. And this kind of a thing becomes really, really critical when we're dealing with You know, situations that have really kind of troubled us for a while and that we haven't made much progress on. Sometimes making sure that we have our data collected can allow us to make those moment to moment decisions that can be really critical overall to a program. And um, this goes double for constructional aggression treatment. And one thing that, you know, we reviewed with our group class was, you know, the, the safety things, the things that have to be in place first before doing any CAT sessions at all. and one of the big ones is is that you never do them alone. Yeah. We said that you should always have someone else there with you, and um, that other person should be there for safety reasons. But then the other double role that I think that the observer or safety person should be doing is collecting data for us. And if we have someone actually watching the session and collecting data right there by our side, we can actually be making moment-to-moment decisions based on the data which can just exponentially speed things up and make things faster and more efficient and better for both the trainer the families and the animals that are involved and um so we actually talked about data collection quite a bit in our group class and um
0: that's right yeah we talked about it and another things that when we are kind of starting to think about the behavior definition and then taking data, we have to also clarify what dimension of the behavior that you are taking data on. Sean, you mentioned that you, uh, in the Morgan's video, we were practicing, you know, how many times the jumping was occurring. You know, So the, those count frequency is a very, very important, uh, data, but also we can take data on duration. So that is how long this behavior is occurring. So for example, sitting or laying down, we can count how many times, but also how long they have been doing this behavior. And also another thing that we can do is the latency, which is, for example, how, how uh, when the person approach until the dog started to approach, how long does it take for a dog to start doing this desirable behavior?
1: Yeah, and, you know, and that's an interesting thing right there, too, when we start talking about, like, what kinds of dimensions that we're going to be looking at to measure. Um, Different circumstances really kind of, really demand for different types of measurements. And if we can really see, like, clearly, like, count, you know, how many times that it's happening, I think frequencies, you know, always going to be the best in that situation. Um, And I think overall, I would try and do frequency as, as much as I can. But sometimes, you know, when we're dealing with a dog that's maybe barking a whole lot for a really long time, like, wah, 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 it, it can get really hard to keep marking your tally sheet. And so sometimes it's best to define our behaviors in a way where we're now measuring them by duration, where we say that, uh, you know, barking is when the dog starts to make a barking sound and doesn't stop them for... Or, you know, there's more, no more than a two-second pause, mm. you know, something like that. And so we can see that they barked for, you know, 15 minutes. <clears throat> and, um, and, and same thing kind of happens with other behaviors. Some justify, you know, doing duration like that. And then same thing like you mentioned for, like, cues. Sometimes latency, the time to respond is, you know, the more appropriate measure. That's right. And when going over this with, you know, everyone in our group class One thing that was, you know, kind of brought up in discussion was that actually no one, none of the trainers in our group classes that we've done so far had ever, you know, had any experience building a data sheet on their own. That's right. And they didn't even, you know, they weren't even sure, you know, how to start on something like that. And uh, so, you know, you and I actually came up with a solution that, uh, you know, we wanted to introduce to you all.
0: That's right. So what we did in the group class is to ma- we made a really easy data sheet and then we had several videos and we watched together and then took data. We want to make this available on our website.
1: And it's just a simple template, you know, data sheet. It, it just has, you know, a column for the behavior, a column to track duration, frequency, and latency. And, and that's it. And You know, these kinds of things, um, as you guys will find, you know, collecting data, that circumstances are going to continuously change and require you to change your data sheets and change the way that you define things. So we really just intended this to be like a good, you know, starting point for somebody to kind of start collecting some data. And then on your own, you can start developing way better and you know, way uh, way more scientific data yeah. sheets than this one.
0: Yeah, so please uh, visit our website, count.com.
1: Yeah, and if you guys would also like to, after watching the videos and taking data, if you would like to send us your data sheets or any questions about it. Um, That's a great idea. Yeah, we'd love to love to hear from you.
0: This marks the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for joining and we hope you enjoyed the show. Before you go, we would like to let you all know that the video on demand for the webinar we did in March is available for purchase until the end of April. This video on demand option includes presentations by Morgan Katz and Sean Will. We will put a link to the video on demand on the description below. And in the evening of April 29th, Please come to our website, caut.com that is C-A-A-W-T dot to register for the second annual CAUT conference. We cannot wait to welcome you at the conference. And while you are there, also check out the basic group class that we will start at the end of May. We also have an additional bonus episode on our Patreon, where we talk about behavioral definitions which is one of the critical elements in data collection. Please visit patreon.com forward slash C-A-A-W-T to enjoy this content. If you like our show, please subscribe to our podcast or share it with your friend. Feel free to get more information or reach out to us on our website caawt.com or our Facebook page, Construction Approach to Animal Welfare and Training. Or you can always email us at caawtcontact@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you so much today. We are your host. I am Masa.
1: And I am Sean.
0: Have a wonderful day with your amazing animal companions.